Welcome to All Things Erie from Erie, PA. It is the last week in November and tomorrow is Turkey Day. Yay! This is Kathy and this is episode five. And uh, again, no Jack, but um, it's been a little bit crazy and uh, trying to get together and stuff like that. Um, but uh, this week's episode is about an unsolved murder here in Erie. Um, and we're going to start in on our myths and legends for Christmas time, since tomorrow's Turkey Day, and that automatically swings right into Black Friday, and a lot of folks will put up their Christmas decorations if they already haven't already. I myself have started um, because I have a little one that is only here a little bit, so she helps put up Christmas decorations whenever she's here. And uh, so let's go right on in and for some reminders, um, if this is your first time listening, um, go back into podbean.com and there are uh, several other, several other episodes um, and there's a couple minisodes and you can visit our, our Facebook page and that's at uh, All Things Erie and that's Erie with three E's and you can um, leave us a message um, that's m dot m e forward slash all things eerie eerie with three e's please don't forget to like our page leave us a comment i would love to see some comments from folks um i know this is very new into this stage um i know i've made some mistakes going back and listening um getting my feet wet so to speak on doing this podcast uh it has been very interesting hearing some of the research and things of that nature and um, learning about different different folks and the different aspects of doing a podcast. Um, I am certainly um, learning a lot along the way. So please keep that in mind whenever you're listening to this podcast. If I'm, if I'm doing something that is completely off the wall just remember you're you're listening to episode five of someone who is who just got the bright idea of let's do a podcast and has no idea or at least had no idea what i was doing when i went into this i went online looked at you know what i could do with what i had and, um, and and I'm trying to do this trip um, with some help um, from, you know, with the information that I had and uh, with the equipment that I have. So just keep that in mind whenever you're listening. Um, nothing's perfect and, um, and certainly no one is perfect. And as much as, you know, some of us would like to think we are and you know you know whenever you're in that argument with your spouse and you throw the, 
throw things out there and they're just like, oh, I know, I know, I know, you're never wrong, you're never wrong. Yeah, I know, I'm wrong, I'm wrong a lot. So, um, that being said, episode five, we're gonna talk about the murder of Gwen Henry and Tyresa Richardson. Now, this happened back in July of 2010 and these two ladies were a couple and this was the home of Gwen Henry um no I'm sorry I, I take that back of Tyresa Richardson and Gwen Henry was there visiting her um these two ladies were in uh, prior relationships uh with men and uh they both had children and uh who were older adults and uh they um, were uh, in the LGBTQ uh, community and um, they found each other. They were in a relationship and they had been um, dating for a while. Um, however, the, the, their murder uh, still remains a mystery as of today no one knows why it, it, it is an arson um, and there are some certain aspects of this murder that coincide with a a, a fire that has happened that happened up here recently that made national news um, if, if you're listening to this uh, the arson, uh, the fire that killed five children that happened in daycare and when I talk about this, you might understand why as I go along. But um, Gwyneth Lillane Henry, she was, she was age 44. She was born on February 11th, 1966. Obviously, she died on July 20, 25th, 2010. <clears throat> and Gwyneth had three children, Mario, Michael, and a daughter named uh, Style. Uh, and she also had two grandchildren. Tyresha Richardson, um, she was age 31. She was born in Lansing, Michigan, and she was, um, excuse me, she was the daughter of Linda Sue Gibson. Mm -hmm. Tyresha uh, had a son named Dante, and she had four daughters named um, Alyssa, Devonce, and um, Ariana, and Imone Monet. And um, like I said, Gwyneth and Tyresha were a couple and had been together for several years. Um, after this happened, there had been a benefit uh, it, that was held in their uh, memory at, uh, we have a, a center that's called the Booker T. Washington Center, um, down on uh, Holland Street, down in downtown Erie. Um, and there was, um, they had a DJ and food, and um, they 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 showed their photos um, of of how they were as a couple, um, and I'll post that on the on our website. Um, at 3 a.m., the home of uh, Tyresha Richardson uh, was found on fire by a neighbor, uh, uh, Tanya Mylia. Um, the deliberate fire was intended to kill the two women who were trapped in their third floor attic bedroom. Now, my understanding about the um, the uh, 
apartment, she, uh, Tyrese, Tyresha had um, a two floor apartment. So where her bedroom was, um, it was like the attic part. So uh, she, uh, she had gone up to the attic to try and get away from the flames. Um, according to Erie Fire Chief Guy Santos, there was a lot of smoke and we found the two females up in the attic who had perished. And this was according to a news article of our local um, news, news uh, company. <clears throat> At the news conference shortly after the fire in 2010, the Erie County Coroner Lyle Cook, who at believe it or not, still at this point in time, he is still our, our, our county coroner, ruled the victim's deaths homicide as a result of smoke inhalation with carbon monoxide to toxic, toxicity. Uh, I, and his, and quoting him, he ruled both deaths a homicide, uh, meaning that they were alive, they were both alive when the, the fire started. Investigators stated someone had intentionally powered um, poured gasoline up the stairs to the women's third floor attic bedroom and then lit the gas on fire. Now, anybody who's watched any um, uh, murder mystery shows or um, like NCIS or NCI uh, or anything like that, that has anything to do with um, that has anything to do with arson or even um, special victims or anything like that. When you're, when you're, uh, or Law and Order itself, the old episodes. Whenever they showed poor, and I know this isn't them or specifically, but but they do try to keep it as as on point as possible when they do the uh, research on this. Anybody who goes around pouring gasoline and you're, you're sloshing this up and down the steps, you're going to get gasoline on yourself. So once they, if they, even if they started at the top of the stairs and they're sloshing this gasoline on the stairs, they had to have gotten gasoline on themselves. So once they lit that match, the fact that they they themselves didn't catch on fire, I'm I'm highly surprised about. Um, a person did that, and they left. They they lit the the stairwell on fire, which it left no way out for Richardson and Henry, whose bodies were found charred on top of each other on their bedroom floor, which basically means they were on top of each other, holding each other, comforting each other because they knew they were dying and even though they were they were in love with each other to me dying in a fire even though me personally drowning is my biggest fear i could not imagine knowing that you're going to die by fire i mean because i've burned myself pretty bad and that's painful. I could not imagine knowing that I'm going to be burned to death. I would like to think that I suffocate first before being burned. Um, and like I said, the, both mothers left behind children. But uh, Mrs. 
uh, Miss Gwen was described as the neighborhood mom. So that had to have been very devastating for those children on that block. The Erie police investigated several theories at the time, but none, none of which led to the person that struck the match. So, I mean, could somebody have been paid to set this fire? I mean, was, <coughs> excuse me, was it because, you know, a, a, a love triangle? Was it because somebody was trying to get them out of their apartment because they didn't like it because they were gay? Was it because of, you know, one of their old, you know, their, their, their counterparts, the, the husbands of their children or the men of their children? Was it because they were still upset because they, they were left for another woman? I mean, because Erie itself, it, even though it's the third largest city in Pennsylvania, is very closed off. I mean, it's not very open when it comes to that kind of stuff. I have to be very upfront about that. I mean, you can sit there and say, oh, you know what, Erie is a very, you know, we have the, uh, we have gay bars and stuff like that. We have a gay bar. We, it is not very open when it comes to that. So there are still very closed-minded people when it comes to that. And this was nine years ago. So it was still very closed-minded. Where the house once stood is now an empty lot, uh, and it's still considered a, a, a cold case. And the two detectives that were on the case have since re retired um, from the Erie Police Department. There has not been any movement on this case whatsoever. And the reason why I, I even did this was because I saw an article about that, about it, and it piqued my interest because of the similarities in the, um, in what happened about the, um, the afterwards, the, when the family sued the, um, housing authority, because what happened was, the um, there was a court document that was filed um, that argued that the housing authority was at fault because Tyresa um, had uh, applied for um, what's called um, uh, Section 8 housing. And you don't have to have, live in what's called government housing. There are people that own houses that will say, you know what, we will have a contract with with the uh, the city or the state, and and we will get paid through the state as long as this person meets these qualifications, and we ha we as the owner of the house has to have to meet these certain qualifications, and we will take X amount of dollars from the person that qualifies, and um, the. Um, and what it said was is that the um, the housing authority knew that the dwelling had no had no alternate means of an exit in case of a fire, and it went through several several um, inspections, and it was notated in their file, and even they even received the letters. Mean they meaning. Tyresha 
and the landlord stating this has to be fixed before this date because if not you're going to lose the funding through the state and they all said okay we're going to fix this <coughs> and um the when the family sued the housing authority it um it said you knew about this you sent multiple letters to not only to miss richardson but to the owners of the home because they sued not only the housing authority but they sued, sued the owners of the home saying that that such as fire stairs or egress through windows and at least one battery operated or hardwired smoke detector in proper working condition on each level because there was there um that's what it was stated in the letter if haste approved a tenancy after inspection the property owner must keep the unit in compliance with the housing quality standards for the duration of the lease there are several rules that the owner must follow to continue to receive money from the housing authority or risk losing their contract Richardson rented a unit on the second and third floors of an apartment duplex owned by Brett and Patricia Hamill, and they are the owners that were also sued. Now, the remaining defendants, they ended up um, in May of 2004, they, they agreed to pay an undisclosed amount uh, to end a long-running civil rights suit. Uh, stemming from the 2010 apartment fire that killed uh, Miss Henry and Tyresha Richardson. But what it boiled down to for the uh, housing authority um, was that they, um, they were determined that they were, uh, that, that they were uh, not at fault. All right. It, um, the defendants countered that the Erie Housing Authority did not approve the apartment for inclusion in the Section 8 program until after the deficiencies had been corrected. And then the third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in August of that, um, of that same year that the housing officials, because they were also named in the suit, um, that that the uh, complaint claimed that the that the women's apartment remained in the Section 8 housing program, even though um, the repeat inspection showed that required uh, fire protection measures had never been installed. But like I said, the third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in August that the housing officials could not be sued under the theory that they created a danger meaning they knew about it, they told them about it, they let them still receive money under the housing authority, but it's not their fault that the other person didn't fix it. Because, hey, we let you know about it, but that's up to you whether or not you're going to do it or not. Um, uh, for the families to prove the housing officials' alleged actions amounted to state-created danger, the plaintiffs would have had to show that the officials' actions were more direct cause of the fire. So they're saying that 
if, you know, even though we point it out to you, if you're not going to do it, bah, well, screw it. Until we pull the money from you, that means nothing. Basically is what they're saying. You know, unless we tell you personally, it's okay in a letter to have it like this, it's not a state created danger. It's their, it's them, it's them basically covering their ass. So, and you find that a lot when it's somebody working for the state is so the state cannot be sued. So that being said, the, the lawsuit alleged that the apartment lacked smoke detectors and escape routes required by law. The apartment alleged, um, allegedly failed an inspection in March of 2006 for these reasons, but then inexplicably passed on April 2006 inspection and subsequent inspections in 2007, 2009, and 2010 despite the fact that there were not smoke detectors on every floor and there was no escape route out the third floor. So basically somebody was fudging their numbers and they just were going through the motions. You know, how, how does one not pass a test even though there's physically no smoke detectors and no way to get out that third floor apartment and then lo and behold magically how many was that 2007 2009 and 2010 that's three years that they magically passed inspections and yet they were found not guilty of being created a state in danger. So I don't get it. I, 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 that part I don't get. And the reason why I'm talking about that is because that coincides with the most recent fire of that happened earlier this year with the in-home daycare that the five children were in and died because the way the daycare system runs up here is completely different from where I was in Ohio and apparently the lady was grandfathered in as to where she did not have to let the fire department know that she had an in-home daycare in her home so she did not have to have the fire department come in and inspect her home she only had to have one smoke detector in her home and that smoke detector was on the third floor of her building which was in her attic and the fire started underneath the carpet of her couch in her living room. So by the time that fire and smoke got to the third floor of her attic, it had engulfed her entire home. So now they are making these huge changes 
because again, CYA, they felt that this was not good enough because it caused the death of five little children. And you are damn certain that the parents of those children sued the shit out of whoever they could because they both have the same attorneys. Now, has it been back in the news since they both got the attorneys? No, but you can be damn certain that they are going to sue the shit out of whoever they can. But you can't bring those babies back. One parent lost three children. I'm sorry, four, lost four three or four, and then the one lost her one baby. You cannot, I cannot fathom going to work. And the one was a volunteer fireman who had to go out on a call. I can't even fathom that part where they had to go and pull him off that call and tell him, hey, you just lost your child because you are volunteering for a fire company. That is just asinine because you put your trust into someone who by all accounts was an amazing woman and an amazing daycare provider, but just that chance her carpet caught on fire by a spark. And because her home was not being inspected properly because of some glitch in the system. But that house fire with that daycare was compared to this house fire right here because they had not seen that kind of loss of life that those folks could not get out since this fire that could have been avoided because the fire inspectors could have gone in and could have inspected that home if they had known that there was an in-home daycare And just like these women here, they could have been saved if their apartment had the, the, the egress or the things attached to their home like it was supposed to. But it had been inspected multiple times and multiple times it was, they were sent letters and the apartment owners were sent letters stating, you need to have this attached so these people can get out in case of a fire. And it was disregarded. How people can live with themselves after that, when you had multiple chances to fix something and you choose to disregard it because what? You're afraid to spend a little bit of fucking money? And the fact on top of it, these women were killed. It wasn't a chance fire like 
in with the children, these women were killed and their murderers still walking free. And hopefully, hopefully somebody is listening to this somewhere out there and they know something. And I'm begging you, if you do, call the Erie Police Department and tell them so that these people can put their, their you know, minds at rest. These families are walking around with that. They're missing their mothers for Thanksgiving. They don't, they're not gonna have that Thanksgiving dinner. They're not gonna get to see their mothers for Christmas. This is the ninth year that they're not gonna get to see their mother for Thanksgiving. This is the ninth year that they're not gonna get to see their mother for Christmas or enjoy a New Year's Eve party or New Year's Day dinner. Please keep that in mind when you hear these stories. And if you know something, I keep saying it, if you know something, say something. If you see something, say something. Help these people be at rest. I, appreci I appreciate you listening to this story. Now, on to something a little bit more lighthearted. And we're going to go into myths and legends behind Christmas. And I don't know about you, but um, I have a little bit of mixed heritage. And um, I think most people that come to this country, they have a mixed background. And um, when their ancestors came here, they uh, brought with them their their um, traditions and they passed them down throughout the years and sometimes we just don't know why we do things the way we do but we just do them um, like um, but uh, you know you know but Christmas itself is considered a Christian holiday if you think about it um, but in that aspect, the pure, believe it or not, pu the Puritans actually banned Christmas in England during the uh, during the uh, Cromwell dictatorship from 1647 to 1660. Um, they also, <coughs> believe it or not, actually outlawed. Um, the holiday in Boston from 1659 to 1681. That's 22 years without Christmas. I mean, think about that without celebrating Christmas. And it's not the idea of Christmas itself, the, the religious aspect. It's all the, the, the other stuff that goes with it. The Puritans, I mean, the name itself is what gives it away. They want it, their religion, they want it to be pure. 
but during this time if you celebrated Christmas you could receive a fine as much as five shillings I mean if you if you decided hey you know what you celebrate Christmas or not celebrate Christmas the way you want to I'll do it the way I want to but in 2017 I checked the the math of what it would be and it was in pounds not in dollars that would have been 29 pounds a little over 29 pounds but back then that would have been considered three days wages of a skilled tradesman um, so you would really have to decide if you wanted to celebrate it or not I mean I don't know if you were a good tradesman or not you know you would just you know hey you know what we're gonna celebrate it um, but if you lived in the countryside I mean like way way out there who's gonna care nobody's gonna see you I mean unless you bring a bunch of people over or not right um, one of the reasons why the Christmas season is so long it incorporates traditions that go back centuries before Christ uh, in fact Christmas wasn't even incorporated into Christianity until nearly four centuries after Christ's death and before that it was pagan um, and a lot of our a, a lot of our holidays um, were taken over by Christ, Christianity because of the fact that when Christianity was coming into like the the European areas and 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 other areas um, to get people to come into Christianity they they looked at it as the aspect of hey you know what if you like this come over to Christianity because this is the holiday we celebrate it's a lot like yours but this is what we do uh, hey why not it's a lot hey if it if you celebrate that holiday you know what I just might not I just might do it because not only do you practice this and you preach about this but you have these holidays why the heck not you know um, it's kind of like their way of uh, doing a good sales you know um, the current season we call Christmas the Yuletides um, includes at least two major religions Christianity and Judaism um, <coughs> And the pagan traditions from uh, Africa, Kwanzaa, and Europe, the winter solstice celebrations. Advent, the 40 days before Christmas, was called 40 days of St. Martin. And then during the early, early Middle Ages and uh, infamy, January 6th was actually more important feast than Christmas itself. Like uh, Christ's Mass, you would go for Christmas you would go and celebrate Christ's Mass and then you would maybe have a dinner or something like that but the more important day was the 12th day of Christmas that's when you would go and, and exchange gifts that was the most important day um, I mean I mean that's the reason why Christmas season is almost two months long um, you know we complain now about you know Christmas decorations being out before Halloween um, a large number of legends surrounding Christmas um, 
if you look at TV or literary classics, um, you know, uh, legends and myths are, are re reflected in the huge amount of uh, Christmas fiction. Uh, that is fantastic. Chris, uh, Charles Dickens' novella, Christmas Carol, a ghost story that swings uneasily between fantasy and horror is easily the most obvious example. But Arthur C. Clarke's fantasy film, It's a Wonderful Life, also comes to mind. While Christmas stories have life-affirming miracles, obviously Halloween is as opposite with deadly ghosts and monsters. Uh, the Christian holiday of Christmas, which is what I was, what I just spoke about, um, like I said, the biggest celebration of the se the season, the actual day of Christmas, was is supposed to be Christ's birthday, and the entire season is laid out according to the stories from the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. However, early Christians didn't celebrate this holiday in December. The Christians. The, yeah, the Christian feast on the 25th didn't even appear in historical records until the 4th century and wasn't officially incorporated into the calendar until the 8th century. And before that, Christ's birth was celebrated anywhere from January to May. So, depending on where you were from, what location, what country, what affiliation you had, what... I mean, again, if you were in Russia, or if you were in England, or if you were in France, or if you were in Lithuania, or if you were in Iran, wherever, depending on where, what you celebrated and when. I mean, it really, really did. Uh, when the feast was first incorporated, Christmas appeared to have been intended to supplant a pagan Roman festival celebrating the birth of Sol Invictus, a collective god consisting of at least three sun deities and one of them the Roman soldier god Mithras. And again, if you like this religion so much, come see what we have. You're going to love it. No, you know what? You don't have to remember all of these gods. We have one. And it used to be, when you watch movies and stuff like that, the pagan, uh, when, you know, about Rome and stuff like that, oh, it must be such a poor religion that you only have one god. Well, we only need one god. He is, he is, he is everything. We only need one. He's all powerful. He has one son. Jesus Christ and he does all of this we only need one he can do everything and how enticing is that that you only have to remember one God one one son of God and then you take it into the 12 days of Christmas between December 25th and January 6th which were also similar to the pagan Roman festival of Saturnia Saturnalia, uh, which was a week-long festival between December 17th and the 23rd, which was dedicated to Saturn, where people feasted and society turned upside down, masters, masters serving slaves, which, if you think about it, it's kind of like Boxing Day, where, you know, 
it, it gets turned around. Um, Boxing Day is uh, held in like, I do believe, uh, in like Canada and England. Um, and that was a precursor to the Babylonian Zagmuk festival, which lasted 12 days and it celebrated the sun god Marduk. Um, and then as Christianity spread, the festival definitely borrowed and synchronized other winter festivals from December and January. For example, the Yule log and mistletoe come from Scandinavia and Christmas tree from Germany, holly and ivy from Celtic Druid traditions. Again, depending on where you're from. And, and in my family, we have ancestors from Scandinavia. I have a lot of German ancestry and I have a lot of Irish and Scots. So a lot of that, you know, came over from different areas. And then when my ancestors came over to the new world, they brought all that stuff. And like I said, I have a lot of German. And when I recently found out, I thought it was a lot of German and French. Nope, a lot of Scott, <laughs> which sorry, but it, 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 it answers a lot about temperament. So, but moving on, uh, St. Nicholas is a very early Eastern saint who, um, he is a modern incarnation as Santa Claus. And um, he, uh, uh, like I was saying, he's a modern incarnation as Santa Claus, uh, which is essentially from the Dutch in origin. And he may uh, also incorporate some traditions from the Norse god Odin. Um, the um, there's some um, things from um, a, a novel uh, American Gods if you've read that by Neil Gaiman's uh, The Hero Shadow he spends uh, his Christmas in a Midwestern diner with an American version of Odin um, and you, you, you're not sure how the um, how that character becomes a grifter but if you think about it how does that god stay relevant in today's day and age how do any of the old gods stay relevant in today's day and age a lot of people are bringing back old traditions like really old traditions a lot of traditions that would have been very much frowned upon in the christianity of of the Middle Ages. Um, so, I mean, keep that in mind, I mean, it, as, as we go on. Uh, for example, um, in one of my favorite, and this is one of my favorite television shows, Supernatural, A Very Supernatural Christmas, it touches on the European traditions, uh, traditions surrounding Santa Claus, um, involving, I, it was called the Companions of St. Nicholas. That episode, um, it was about um, how Sam and Dean believe that they might be cha uh, chasing an anti-clause, um, the evil brother of Santa Claus that limps and smells sweet. Uh, however, it turned out that they, it was a pair of pagan gods that uh, who blended into society 
using um, the trappings of Christmas to find their victim, to find their victims, uh, slash sacrifices, and the and how they um, it might be related to the god of the winter solstice, and wherever they are, and they use their um, sacrifices, the winters weren't as harsh. Uh, the show also touched on the Swedish pagan tradition of Midwinterdolt, the midwinter sacrifice. Midwinterdolt, which was phased out around 1200, involved human and animal sacrifice intended to reduce the grip of winter. It may have also been conducted to uh, connected to Yule traditions. Yule meaning like Yule log. Um, and if we thought all demons, and then we move on to Hanukkah, which is the festival of lights. Um, it's celebration uh, about a much earlier series of events. It was recorded uh, in the book of Maccabees, which according to the story, when Judah Maccabee and his brothers drove seclude king of Antioch IV out of Israel in 165 BCE. They also reclaimed and, cl and cleansed the temple of Solomon. However, there was only enough oil left to light the menorah for one day. But during the eight days that it took to press and consecrate more oil, the menorah miraculously continued to burn. So that in itself is a miracle. Um, and then um, the other thing about Hanukkah could also represent the martyrdom of a woman named Hannah and her son, or I'm not, I'm sorry, not Hannah, Hannah and her son for, re for refusing to abandon their faith under secluid rule or their historian, or there are historians who believe that it may have been delayed celebration of Sukkot and Shemi Atzeret. Hanukkah is celebrated for eight days after the 25th of the Hebrew month of Kislev or late November, early December, while Sukkot, Shemi, Atzeret were celebrated in September or early October. Um, so, I mean, you have a couple of things to choose from for Hanukkah. Um, I know, I know it's, it's very important to them, especially for, um, getting home to light, to light their menorah, and, um, it's very, very important overall to have, have all of, all of these, um, festivals and and um, celebrations known about and um, and I and I do apologize for not being able to pronounce uh, Sekhliad his name correctly um, but moving on we have we talk about Kwanzaa an african-american festival celebrating the harvest um, is the youngest of the formally recognized festivals in the Christ Christmas season 
and that is celebrated from December 26th to Janu January 1st. And Kwanzaa was created in 1966 by Dr. Manuela Caragrenda, an African-American activist author, intended as a cultural rather than a religious festival. Kwanzaa exists to celebrate African-American traditions via harvest festivals from Northeastern Africa. Um, now, there are controversies, controversy yep, I can talk today. It's only Wednesday. Controversy as a, there's controversy over Kwanzaa itself, saying that it's a made up festival. Um, connected to the pan-Africanism um, that it uh, reflects rather odd tendency to see all African culture as East African and Swahili based. Look, everything at some point has to have a start. Whether it started in 1966 or it started in year two AD. Who gets to say what is what? If this doctor says, hey, let's start this because I think this would be a great idea and it takes off, great for him. And it did take off. People love to do this celebration. It's a great idea. It's not to sit there and say, it's only for African-Americans because it's not. They welcome everybody into their churches. And they would, and they love to have everybody to come in and sing and to, and to, and to just do what they do at, at their church. It's not just for African-Americans. It's not just for to say, you know, oh, you can't do this. They include everybody. It's not to exclude anybody. I, that's the problem with a lot of people because they see the, the name Kwanzaa or they see the name Hanukkah and they say, whoop, you can't do that because you're not this or you can't do this or you because you're not that that's why things are started because they want to include not exclude celebrating life celebrating history that's what this is all about it's not about what you can buy somebody. It's not what you can show you have the most of. That's what we get away from during this holiday season and people seem to forget. And maybe that's why people get upset about Kwanzaa is that they're not talking about, you know, Black Friday and the deals you can get. It's not about that. It's about being with family. It's about being together. And, 
and sharing. It's, it's not anything else but. And I think that's what we need to get back to as a whole to start repairing some of the damage that we've done as humanity. I think a lot of us need to step back and take a look at what we've done. Not to anybody else, but to ourselves. And start to repair that hole. Whether we need to do it at church or wherever. And if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. But we need to open our hearts and our minds. And I know that's part of a song, but I think that's very much needed today. But moving on, I mean, we're talking about the winter solstice itself. I mean, it's a neo-pagan uh, tradition that is centered around the winter solstice that happens on December 21st, which there's plenty of historical precedent in many different cultures, not just one in particular. And it lasts five days of the Mayan calendar. Um, it, they were nameless and considered extremely dangerous along the lines of the Celtic festival, Samhain, which was later incorporated to Christianity as Halloween. Um, then we have among the Zuni of the southwestern United States, they celebrate on the winter solstice and it marks the beginning of the new year. Uh, Pre-Zoroastrian uh, pre festival from the second millennium um, they celebrated the winter solstice as a victory of light over darkness and birth of Mithras, the sun god. Um, and it actually survives to this day in Iran as the festival of Yalda. Uh, in Sri Lanka, a famous Buddhist nun, Sanghamutha, is Kamaram. Commemorated, yep, I can talk, on the solstice. Even in India, uh, Sankranti is uh, celebrated on January 14th and is the only Hindi festival not based on the lunar calendar, and um, which there is a lot of uh, celebrations in in the eastern area that is just based on the on the calendar. Um, in neo-pagan traditions, the Wiccans and Astru, Germanic and Iceland neo-pagans, both celebrate Yule. Um, the Lithuanian Romuva have uh, revived the Levathan festival of Zimasetke. I hope I said that one right. That one was difficult. Uh, it's dedicated to the birth of Levathan creator or sky god. And that one's uh, celebrated on December 23rd, 24th, and 25th. In Celtic neo-pagan traditions, the solstice holds uh, significance as the major festival after Samhain. Since the 18th century, neo-Druids have revived and celebrated it as Albain Arthan, a much older festival 
Rende, uh, which is December 26th. Um, that one there is a little messed up because it's about someone killing a wren and going door to door and collecting money for it. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, people are messed up. Um, so I'm going to finish with this. The origins of Christmas are definitely tangled with many cultures. You could take Christmas and make it as religious as you would like or go as some and reject it as a pagan festival. While those who are neo-pagans have openly embraced it as a solstice celebration and emphasized uh, those pagan origins, but no matter how you look at it, Christmas is not going anywhere. It's one of the most popular holidays and people are choosing to expand and use it for their own purpose. It's definitely one religious festival that can be that can be for everyone. And you can love it or you can hate it. You can be a Grinch or you can be one of the most giving people out there. Even though the Grinch at the end gave everything back. Just keep that in mind. Because his heart grew three three sizes that day. This is Kathy. I'm signing off. But keep, please keep in mind, go to our webpage, or our Facebook page at All Things Eerie, three, with Eerie th with three E's, and uh, let us know what you think. And next time I uh, talk to you guys, it's going to be December. So keep that in mind. We only have a couple more weeks until the year 2020. I thought at this point we would have, you know, some more interesting cars to look at, except for the the new one that was supposed to have non-breakable windows and they broke. Everybody have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I look forward to talk to you in December. Bye-bye.